0: The reading Jillian uh, just read from Isaiah is a glorious one. It's one from which our anthem was derived. I've honestly thought this week it should be on the mirror, the vanity mirrors in all of our bathrooms as we are readying, preparing ourselves for each day because uh, it has within its core something that's unique to our identity, uh, whose we are, our worth and our value. It says, do not fear, I have redeemed you. That is redeemed, given you value again. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. I know who you are. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rough waters will not overwhelm you. That is gospel from Isaiah. It's interesting to me that in Isaiah's reading this morning, uh, between it stands between two events. One is the baptism of Jesus, and the other are river-crossing moments in the life of God's people. If you think about God's people crossing the Jordan, the Jabbok, if you think about the Exodus event, right, when the people were led from slavery across the Reed Sea, it's almost like they were leaving behind a way of life, something old, something destructive, something they needed uh, to let go of that was chasing them in chariots, pursuing them. Their pharaohs were coming, their power systems were coming after them, and they said, no, we're crossing over into a new day, into a promised land. I I wonder when all the people came to be baptized and to listen to John, if they had that story. So, you know, we, we have in our, our collective memory, our collective story, river crossing moments. Maybe this can be another one. I wonder if there was that level of, of expectation because it sounds to me like just from reading uh, Luke's gospel and the other gospels about the baptism of Christ, that people were leaving work, closing up shop, you know, be back in an hour. Checking the kids out of school, uh, canceling uh, appointments, doing whatever they needed to do to get down to the river to hear John proclaim a message of repentance. Now, John's sermon really is only two words, repent and believe. That's it. Shortest sermon you'll ever hear, right? <laughs> change your heart and change your mind and change your direction. Hmm. And so one by one, family by family, people came. All week, as I've resonated on this text, I've had James Earl Jones' voice in my head, people will come, Ray, <laughs> you know, Field of Dreams. And by the end of the movie, there's a long snake of, of headlights. People did come, Ray. And I wondered if that was the image as people were coming to the river in the scorching heat. Without mosquito repellent, they didn't have arch support or the you know, the cushy hoka sandals or anything like that. They came with, with crying babies who were hungry and needed to be fed and needed to be changed. They, they came with, with children who wanted, uh, teenagers, who wanted to be anywhere else except seen in public with <laughs> parents, right? Anybody know who that is? Yeah. Widows and widowers, white-collar, blue-collar, religious, non-religious, just people who were curious. They all came to the river in hordes to hear John's message and apparently wondering, is this the Messiah? Is this him? And the people, they they just couldn't get down by the riverside fast enough to respond. What does it say that so many people wanted to walk away from something old, from something different, to start anew, to start fresh? That's a New Year's kind of message. And so I just envision that this long line of, Sinners, maybe a few saints sprinkled in, but this long line of human beings formed. They brought with them, or they carried with them, or they were bound by what they had done and not done, what they had said and left unsaid, their deepest convictions, their most egregious acts against God and against neighbor. They brought their misdemeanors, their betrayals, their fears. They lined up because they wanted a new start. They wanted to be part of a bigger story. They just wanted something to change within them. And so one by one, family by family, the line formed. I've also thought about this text and the other gospels about the baptism, that John was probably getting tired. Hundreds of people coming, and he's baptizing them, pouring water, Most likely pouring water over their head, person after person. You know, I hope he was ambidextrous. You know, left arm and then it gets tired and then your right arm. You know, you just got to do what you got to do sometimes. And he kept saying, This isn't about me, it's about someone who will come after me. It's going to be more than just water, it's going to be water and the Spirit that will rest on all of you. And I think that's a beautiful message. I, didn't, I haven't spent enough time in, uh, talking about uh, John in this the particular sermon, but it's something that, that we could study and follow up on together if you wanted to. But John could have so easily, I mean, if a preacher sees hundreds and hundreds of people closing up shop, checking kids out of school, shutting things down to get to um, a sermon and then to line up by, by the dozens, by the hundreds, I, I, that'll tickle a preacher's pride. John could have easily said, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is about me. But he didn't. He just backed himself out and he tried to keep putting Jesus in the spotlight to say, you know, there's one coming. Just wait, just wait, just wait. And then before you know it, the very next person in line is who? It is Jesus. And he's like, "Praise uh, praise you, Lord, because I need to tap out. I'm tired and I'm not worthy to be doing this anyway. Lord, may that be my 2020 prayer as your pastor. The one whom John had been forecasting would come. And it's interesting to me that he was in line with every other person who waited so patiently. But it's also so odd, isn't it? Why is Jesus in line with every other sinner who wants to be made clean, why did Jesus become part of, of this crowd? Why didn't he just flash his VIP badge and jump to the front and bypass all those sinners and say, I got it from here, John. I got this covered, right? Well, grace doesn't work that way, friends. If, if God with us, Emmanuel, if it means anything, it means everything in this moment. That God, through Jesus Christ, was willing to wait in line with messy, broken people who didn't have it all figured out and then to get down into some dirty water as an act of solidarity with us. Because you see, grace doesn't come for the righteous and for the clean and the upright, but for the the sin sick and the weary and the hungry and the broken and the people questioning and the people who doubt People who are poor in spirit, but certainly for all who are willing to stand in line for something new. A new start, a new chance, a little grace, a little forgiveness, a little mercy. With us, Jesus waits. For us, Jesus comes. Despite us, Jesus saves. And because of us, Jesus just loves And so he waits his turn to enter the muddy and the murky waters, to be baptized. And then the Gospels go on to tell us he he withdraws to pray and to be led by the Spirit for 40 days into the wilderness where he'll be tempted by the devil. That's a powerful notion, a powerful image of God. If we talk about the Immaculate, what is the image of God? That Jesus Christ would leave the luxury of heaven. I assume it's pretty nice, Heaven. Why would he leave a throne and come down to be in nasty water? Because you know the thing, hundreds and hundreds of people will make some water pretty muddy. And those of you who have been to the Jordan River know it's not exactly the cleanest thing anyway. So why would the God who created the universe come down and just kind of stand in all that dirty water and take three days to get the residue off, right? Why would he do that? Well, I tell you what, you name me any other God or idol that's willing to do that, and and I'll listen, because there's not a single one, past, present, or future, who will love you in that way. So I want us to use 2022 as, as this chance to resist placing our worth, as Jason was, our identity to place all of that in idols or people or systems or structures or abilities that will never, ever love you back, that will never come down from their high horse and enter into the muddy river story of your life and then be willing to go to the wilderness for you and eventually to a cross. There's not a single idol or power system that's going to love you back like that. So, I think one of the the main takeaways today is that Jesus came into this world to be with us and came to be baptized into our human story. And I think it's at that moment that things get really interesting in this text because heaven apparently breaks open. And and in one of the rarest occasions in Scripture, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all present. What brings out all three in one? (laughs) The word Trinity is not mentioned in Scripture. We just have rare instances like this one where they're all three present. Jesus is in the water, the, the dove comes down, and then you hear the voice of God. It's trinitarian. What is it about this text? What is it about that day that brought out all three persons of the Trinity? Maybe the solidarity of humanity, willing to gather together. And maybe when that happens, when God's people gather together to say, we don't have it all figured out, but we're willing to allow grace to work in our life, maybe that's when we find Jesus right in the middle of all of it. There's power so the baptism itself, it, it just might have seemed routine, at least based on Luke's version, but it got so loud and even paranormal as Jesus started coming up out of the waters. Things changed. It reminds me of the times when we are able to baptize uh, children over here. And sometimes, maybe this is part of your story, we'll, a child will be brought forth, and that child has had a full eight-ounce bottle, has a full belly, is bundled up all snugly, and is sound asleep, right? So when the preacher comes over there and puts water, it's more like an act of torture than it is a sacrament, right? And that baby starts shaking and wakes up, and the parents are mad at me because I've disrupted nap time. But I thought about that image, that baptism awakens us to something bigger It's all around us. And then there's other times when a child comes kicking and screaming. Uh, That child is not having any of this cold water business. And that's honestly more like an exorcism than it is a baptism. You know, these screaming moments sometimes. But then we put the water on that child, and it calms. It's happened on more than one occasion, both of those events. At this fund, to your child, to your friend, church members. It just reminds me that grace awakens us. It also reminds me that grace settles us into our identity as we are named and claimed as a child of God. Things change when we line up and are willing to come forward and experience God's grace. So I want you to hear today that There's no current swift enough, no waters muddy or murky enough that's going to keep Jesus from coming to be part of your river story or your wilderness story for that matter. He steps into those waters and he wades out a little bit deeper, as the song says, and he stands in the middle of all of it as if to say, I'm right here with you. That's plural, with you all. I'm here with y'all. It's a beautiful image for the baptism of the Lord. Baptism is a sacrament in our United Methodist tradition. It's a primary uh, means of grace. It's only required once in a person's life, baptism, That's because it's not about the work of the preacher, it's it's not about the mode, it's not about the denominational affiliation. As long as a person has been baptized by the Father, Son, and, and the Holy Spirit, and there's a healthy understanding of Trinitarian theology, we recognize those baptisms, whether it's sprinkling, whether it's pouring, or whether it's immersion, a.k.a. dunked, right? The idea is that we're stepping into grace that's already at work in our lives before we before we even realize it. That, and we're saying that you know, Christ has chosen us before we are ever able to choose Christ. And we are being named and, and claimed by a grace that will never let us go, no matter how many times we let it go and turn our backs on it. That's why you know, Christ makes the promise. And I don't think Christ breaks promises. But baptism is also a renunciation of sin, and it's being cleansed within, and it is a way to resist evil and injustice and oppression, and it is an act of declaration of independence and dependence. We're, We're declaring our independence from sin and from a way of life that binds us and chains us, and there's a new way forward. We're claiming dependence on the one thing that can see us through, and that is grace. It's Christ alone, friends. And it's all this is God's gift offered to us without what? Price. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. Can't pay enough for it. It's free. Just have to step into it. I say this every year and I'll close with us because it's worth mentioning. In that moment of Jesus's baptism entering into the Solidarity, the suffering of, of humanity into those waters of the Jordan River, God says something unique. He says, beloved, beloved, I'm so pleased in you. And that's always a curious thing for me to hear because up until this point, Jesus has not done anything to earn the status of beloved. He hasn't taken in fish or loaves and, and fed the masses, not, not any healings. He hasn't taken on, you know, in any battles or anything like that with the Pharisees. You know, but until this point, all Jesus has done is, is stood in solidarity with some people in line for how, however long that was and, and entered into those waters. And God says, you're beloved. To what I want you to hear today at the start of this, this new year is that before you do it it's not like Jesus brought a qualification card. <laughs> you know, I've got my theology figured out, my bank account's good, I you know, mom and dad, you know, everything's all lined up and all this. Here, John, now I'm qualified and worthy enough to be baptized. That's not how it works. You are beloved in the sight of God just as you are. And if we're willing to step in the direction of grace, it's always coming for us. I've thought a lot about the prodigal son parable here. It's my favorite passage in all of Scripture. Prodigal son from Luke's Gospel. The son went off wantonly and, and waywardly and, and the father sat on the porch because he knew, he just knew he was coming home at some point. And he looks out and he sees a speck. And from a long way off, the father recognizes the swagger, the walk, or the gait of his son And he rises and he runs to a son who has changed his mind to say, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to change my ways. Father, will you have me back? And the father goes out and just basically baptizes the child with all of these these gifts of restoration. Such a beautiful image of God. That when we line up and stand together with one another, Christ is in our midst. Some of you here today, maybe you're wondering where where you belong in life or where you are and what you're worth and what's your identity and it's balled up in so many things and and now we're trying to think about a new a new year what does it mean to be retired or to be empty nesting or what does it mean to go through this next year without a spouse or a friend because we've lost them to death or they've moved away what does it what does it mean to be new to our community and just trying to figure everything out? What's in, it, what's in it for us as First United Methodist Church when we get the renovations going and we have all this denominational chatter and we, we look for answers and we look for grace in all of those places and too often we look at our jobs and our savings and our accomplishments and to our peers and our denomination and our, our teammates and our alma maters and our accomplishments and our acquisitions uh, for a ruling about our worth and it's not there place where you find your value and your worth is hearing the voice of God saying beloved be loved because you are let that be your starting point for 2022 what is true for an individual or for a family it's true for our church it's part of our core identity to step into and to offer a grace that is so much bigger than any one story